honestly how it's going to go or where it's going to take us, but we're going to be in Haggai for the next handful of weeks. Now, I don't know if you've ever uh, participated in a sermon series from Haggai. I, I was trying to rack my brain. Um, I don't think I have, and Phil stated that he couldn't remember one either. Um, you know, Haggai is a book that's all about priorities. It's all about priorities. So th- it takes place uh, during the Babylonian exile and Israel is now Judah and, and they were charged with building the temple and they weren't doing so. And we're going to kind of dig into that a little deeper, but Haggai's in the Old Testament. It's only two chapters long. And so uh, chances are that if you haven't done one of those, like read through your Bible in a year plans that you maybe have never actually been in it or read it, or maybe you stumbled on it by accident one day. Uh, maybe you're like me when I was like 19 and found out that it was a book. I had that recollection for some reason. I was just like, oh, Haggai's in the Bible. So maybe not the greatest thing to admit, but it, that's where I was. Now, it's named after the prophet Haggai. That, that may shock you. I doubt it. And his prophecies from the Lord are delivered during what is believed to be a holy festival in Jerusalem. So... I'm saying like the week that it was held was what would typically be a holy festival in Jerusalem. And so his audience would have been ripe. It would have been ready. It would have been quite large and it would have been easier for him to deliver his message. Now, his message is one of judgment and it's one of confrontation for the Israelites who once again forgot their God. Specifically, as we stated, they haven't built the temple as instructed. We're going to be in Haggai chapter 1. We're going to be in the first four verses is kind of what we're going to base out of this morning. If you have a Bible app, you'd like to follow along that way, do so. Otherwise, everything will be on the screen. So Haggai 1, 1 through 4, the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, probably didn't pronounce that right, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedach the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai and said, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? So Haggai begins in verse one with an addressing of leadership and their responsibility to first and foremost lead the people in following the will of God. Here in scripture, this this partnership is from God to prophet to the leaders of the people. And through the leaders, Haggai delivers this message to the Israelites while they are in exile. Today, a way that we see this relationship a lot in the active church is God, Father and Son, through the Spirit, to leadership, and then we do our very best job to help try to lead not only our church, but the people in our lives in the way that they should go. Now, in our church, we have an obvious leadership structure. We have pastors in the church, myself, Chelsea, Phil, Chase, Allie. Uh, I would consider all pastors, youth pastors, children pastor, head pastor. Jake is an ordained pastor now, so he pastors in a lot of ways as well behind the scenes and sometimes from the stage also. We have elders, of which Jake is one, Dave Plemons is one, David Thomas is one, Rodney, who pray for him, he's doing much better, but still struggling with some heart issues. He's at KU Medical Center, uh, but things look like they're going in the right direction. But I just want to mention that and say, pray for him. And then I'm an elder myself. 
Then we have leadership, which consists of Zoe and Joy and Jessica and Caitlin that lead us in various aspects of our church. And all of us together make up our leadership team. Now, we have been charged with following the will of God and together leading the church in the way that it should go. I am a firm believer, however, that each and every single one of you has the opportunity and can be in your daily lives a leader. And while this passage doesn't explicitly state what it takes to be a leader, there are some lessons that we can learn from what we see here in verses one through four. First and foremost, a leader is anyone with the willingness to hold others accountable and inspire action when complacency is present. The best leader, in my opinion, the best leaders are ones who can hold people accountable for the way that they should be living, for the job that they should be doing. Okay. I think corrective action needs to be a part of that process, but leaders will hold each other accountable. And when complacency occurs, they'll inspire action. Now becoming this type of leader, like I said, takes willingness, but it honestly takes practice too. Nobody, I firmly believe that nobody is naturally a great leader. There are people that have natural leader characteristics. There are people who lead lots in their lives, but being a great leader and becoming a great leader takes practice. And so there are going to be bumps along the way. There are going to be things that you do that you don't do well. And there will be times where you do things that uh, they work out really well. And so it's kind of this constant process of being a learner. A leader is also a learner. Now, leaders lead in word and deed. So not only uh, are they talking the talk, but they're walking the walk. They're, they're supporting their ideas in the way that they are behaving, in the way that they're living life. They are inspiring confidence by being true to their word. And so that's an important characteristic of a leader as well. And Haggai was a great example of that as somebody who was talking to the people about how you, you, you need to get on this building, the temple. And so, you know, the people hadn't done it yet. And I think I mentioned this later, but I'm mentioned now that there's a predicted like 70 year Babylonian captivity and they're in year two of it. So year two, Jesus, 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 God is expecting, Hey, you should have been getting on the temple, right? Like the temple needs to be started and they haven't done a thing yet, but more about that. But leaders are, are also able to deliver those uncomfortable messages to, to say, Hey, like Haggai, I'm, I'm going to listen to what God says. I'm going to follow what God says. And I'm going to say what God tells me to say, even if it's uncomfortable, even if the people won't like it, who knows what they'll do to me if I speak out against them, but leaders will also deliver uncomfortable messages. It doesn't mean that they take joy in it. It doesn't mean that they necessarily like the job. It just means again, that they're willing to do so. And then leaders also point out areas where correction is necessary because like we said, we all need correction. I need correction. There's a good chance that at times in your life, you need correction and we all can work together to lead one another, right? As a pastor, I can lead you as people who are members of this church, uh, inside of your homes. Uh, you can lead your wives, husbands and husbands, you or wives, you can lead your husbands and vice versa. And lead your children together. And, and there's a lot of leadership that takes place in our day to day that we maybe don't necessarily see or look at it in such a way. And I also lastly firmly believe 
that the best leaders don't lead in a bubble, right? A leader who leads in a bubble is a tyrant. (laughs) That's basically what a leader who leads in a bubble is. And so great leaders surround themselves with other great leaders and people who they know will hold themselves, hold them accountable and and speak up when they feel like something needs to uh, improve and, and be better. And we've, you know, I'll just, from a personal standpoint here at church, we've got that. Like I know if I'm out of line or I need to fix something, Jake will be like, Hey, you might want to think about this. And, uh, usually he's right. And when I say usually, I mean, every time he's done that, he's been right. So, (laughs) but you know, that's needed. I need that. I need that support. I need that, that leadership too, and that guidance. And, And so it's important that we surround ourselves with people who love us enough to be honest with us and who love us enough to be truthful with us in times when it's not necessarily easy. And so we learn all of that, I think, from this standpoint of just looking at Haggai and looking at his willingness to follow God and do what it is that God has called him to do and say what he needs to say. And we can be these types of leaders in our life as well. We go on to verse two. Haggai continues to say, or the book says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. It's a really interesting way that God addresses them. And if if you just were reading through the book, like I did the first couple times, you might look right over this line. You might look right over this verse and think nothing of it. But it's not very often that we see God address the Israelites as these people. Typically, it's my people, right? My people. But in this instance, he says these people right? Through Haggai, this message, it would have meant something to the Israelites because they're used to hearing themselves referred to as my people. They're used to being the chosen. They're used to being in alignment with God. And here they're referred to as these people. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. There's such disappointment in those words. There's such disappointment in those words. And just in those words alone, there is uh, um, correction for the people. And so for us guys, it kind of points out the importance of being able to read context clues, right? And being able to not always uh, have a message said to us perfectly clearly, which ideally would be the way that they would always come, but to be able to get the message from the words that are being delivered to us. And so these people is a far cry from my people, like we see throughout much of the Old Testament, such as in Chronicles seven fourteen, where he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And the reason I picked this verse specifically is because I think it's applicable to this situation. While the Israelites are in exile, while they're not doing what it is that God has called them to do while they are in exile, almost like this list of, hey, this is what needs to be accomplished in order for you to kind of leave this punishment, so to speak. God's reminding us all in this verse that if we, his people, will humble ourselves and, and, and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways and admit and believe and confess the things that we need to change, then he is quick to forgive and he will heal our brokenness. And so the question that arises to me from this verse, from verse two, that says, 
The Lord Almighty says, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. It's a really important question. Who are God's people? Well, we know from Scripture it's not those who are perfect, right? We just read in Chronicles 7.14 that my people are those who will turn from their wicked ways and seek my face and reach out in prayer. So God's people aren't those that are perfect and have everything figured out and who are always doing the right things. It's not those who claim to be his people because these Israelites certainly would. Right? You can't just confess it with your mouth. Again, we have to be able to walk the walk and talk the talk to back it up. God's people are those who make time for him. That's a really important thing for us to kind of wrap our heads around because all of us have busy schedules. Like all of us do. I know, I know all of you really well personally for the most part. And I know that all of you have really busy schedules, right? You've got work, you've got church, you've got family, you have a million things on the docket. And at times I know it seems like there's not enough time in the day for everything that you have to accomplish and do. But the most important thing that we need to do as Christians is make sure that in our list of things that we have to do, that God is made a priority, right? New Year's Day, I don't know if you guys are New Year's resolution people. I'm not because I've never been able to keep one that I've actually made. So I found out that it's not a great strategy for me, but I'm not questioning you if that's something that you do. But New Year's resolutions really are all about rearranging our priorities, right? And making time for the things that we think we need to improve at and get better at. Well, God's people are simply those who will make time for him. It's about priorities. It's about choices. These people choose themselves. My people choose God. And that's kind of the difference that we see laid out in Scripture. And as we go to verses 3 and 4 in our passage today, Haggai chapter 1, it says, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. He said, it is, a, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses why, while this house remains a ruin? The issue isn't their house. I want to be very clear about that. Okay? The issue isn't their house. It's his house in respect to their house. Does that make sense? It's a, it's a big difference. This is both a literal statement and in many ways metaphorical. So often we focus on our house. And these people were living in paneled homes. That paneled word is important because that refers to the type of home that they were living in. They were in captivity, like we said, but these weren't just shacks or tents that were put up. These were finished homes. And honestly, paneled homes, a lot of times were reserved for kind of like the upper echelon of society in that day. These were nice, finished, well-cared-for homes. And while God's people, these, these people who claim to be God's people, are living in these nice, finished, paneled homes. God has no home. Right? If you know, the temple in the Old Testament is where God dwelled. It's where his people went to be with him and where he could be in relationship with them. And that home wasn't there. It wasn't just about them not building the temple. It was about them not desiring to build the temple And in doing so, showing that they had no desire to spend appropriate time with their God. Again, it's all about priorities. 
So even if these aren't luxurious homes, at the very least, they have roofs over their heads. And, and again, we see God with nothing. And we could look at this scripture and we could say, yeah, but they're in exile. But they're two years into exile, right? And if they have time to, for a finished paneled home, then they have time to make for God. It's not like this is a new experience. They haven't just now lost everything and been captured into a foreign land. This is in a time where they have been able to establish themselves. They had roots, they had foundations, they had homes, but God had nothing except for their excuses, which we see in verse two. Going back to verse two, they said, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. And what I would say to that is make sure God receives more than excuses from you. Okay. Make sure that God receives more than excuses from you. So if the time has not yet come to do what it is that the Lord has called you to do, I would ask, when is the time? When is the time? Another question I would ask is, what is it that God has called you to do that you don't have time for? This doesn't have to be some giant life-changing experience, right? This could just be, God has called me to attend church more often, or God has called me to better use my finances, right? It, it doesn't have to be this thing that is like, God has called me to leave everything behind and go to Africa as a missionary. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. Sometimes there are just little critiques and little corrections that God makes in our lives to make us more holy and to help prepare us better for life that we're ignoring because we don't have the time. And really what it is, is we haven't made it a priority. So I would ask you, where are your priorities? And I want to be very clear that I am in no way, shape, or form being accusatory, okay? There's no one in this room. If there was a specific person I needed to speak with, I would just go talk to them. I want to be clear about that. In no way, shape, or form am I being accusatory. I'm just questioning. And while I'm questioning you, I'm questioning myself with these same questions, right? Where is it that I can improve? Where is it that I need to make more time for God? What can be removed so that I have more time for God? Listen, there are things in life that you have to do. We all know that. Education is important. You have to work in order to live, in order to have food, in order to have those things. These things need to be a priority in your life too. There's a million different things. I think that having your kid be involved in activities should be a priority. I really do. Like whether that be sports or dance or whatever else, there, there's lots of things in our life Okay, lots of things in our life that we should prioritize. It's just, where does God fall on that list? And if God's not up here, okay, what is it down here that we might be able to take out so that we can move everything else down and put God up here? Does that make sense? So again, guys, I want to be very clear, not to any one person, not being accusatory, something God has laid on my heart, mainly because it's something I know that I need to be better at. And I just thought, as God is showing this to me, he might want to show it to you as well. Does that make sense? And so that's where we are with Haggai. Haggai is challenging the Israelites on their priorities. You are making this excuse that now is not the time. Now you don't have the time, but you live in your fancy homes. Everything is finished. You're focusing on you. You're making sure that all of your wants and needs and desires are taken care of. But here's God asking for you to build his temple, to build his home, 
the whole purpose so that he can be with you. And you're saying it's not a priority. You're saying it's not the time. Here's the truth. God wants to be in relationship with you. God wants to be in a relationship with you. And oftentimes when you don't feel God, I'm, I'm taking all that away. Not oftentimes, all the time when you don't feel God, it's not because he's not there. It's because you have a lot of other things that you have prioritized in front of him. And we all go through seasons. Okay. We all go through seasons. I'm not talking about that. There are highs and there are lows in our relationships, all of our relationships, including our relationship with God. But in the end, in the end, what is the most important thing? Because while I'm just questioning, again, not making accusations, while I am just questioning, it's one thing for me to question you. It's an entirely different thing for God to challenge the way that you're living and for God to question what is important to you. Live in a way that God would never question that he is your number one priority. That's the challenge. If you haven't made a New Year's resolution, make that it. It's a brand new year, ladies and gentlemen. It can be a brand new you. I sorry, I felt weird saying that. I don't know why it came out. But if, if, if God hasn't been number one on your list, or even if there's other priorities that you need to rearrange, it's a great time to do it right now. As the band comes up, we're going to pray. We'll give an invitation. If you need to come pray with me about anything, please do that. Um, if you want to talk about becoming a member of our church and you're not, I would love to have that conversation with you. If there's anybody here today that... Uh, would say, hey, honestly, the Lord is not my personal savior. I wouldn't consider myself a Christian. And you want to have a conversation about what that looks like and what that means. That's what this time right now is for, is for you to come talk to me. And so we can at least start that conversation rolling. Um, I'm not somebody who is here to sell you the snake oil, <laughs> so to speak. I'm just going to tell you what the word of God says and, and, and how I feel personally. And so uh, maybe that'll make sense to you. Maybe it won't. But do yourself a favor and start that conversation because I believe that if I'm right, if I'm right, that Jesus is the son of God and that he died on a cross to save you from your sins, the most important decision that you can ever make is whether or not to follow him. So let's say a quick prayer and then we'll continue with our Sunday. God, we come to you right now. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us is an open vessel that we will just peel back the layers of our onion, so to speak, and let you inside. And that God, you would show us the areas that we need to prioritize and the places that we need to get better. God, sometimes that can call us to make tough decisions, decisions that we don't necessarily want to make, but decisions nonetheless that, that are necessary for what you're calling us to do. And so, God, I would pray with each and every person and for each and every person here today that they would just be willing to listen and follow. God, give us the conviction and the courage to do whatever it takes to get rid of those things that we have put in as excuses and to make you our number one priority. 
Because that, that is what's most important. Lord, we ask for all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Go ahead and stand up with us now and let's just worship.